It is really great to see so many of you here. Uh, this place is virtually packed, um, you could say. And uh, that you all have made the time. You're making, you're finding it important to, um, to come to church. Uh, there's a gentleman who uh, owns a restaurant near my house. He's from the Middle East. He's from Afghanistan. And um, I was on my way to just take some time to walk and pray. And we just happened to cross. I just happened to pass by the front of his restaurant, and he just happened to be coming out. And he recognized me because we've talked in the past. Um, and he said, to, he said to me, have you been? I said, I've been busy with uh, work and church. And he said to me, church is the more important of the two. Um, that came from not a Christian. Uh, and he said, church is the most important of the two. And how true is that? You know, that in the midst of everything that is going on, it is still the truth that God is the most important thing. Your relationship with God is the most important thing. I know there's a lot going on, but um, I appreciate that you all are coming to fellowship to hear the word of God and those who are watching online as well. Uh, I really thank God for, for all of us. So, you know, if you look at um, what's going on in our country today, you look at the violence, you look at um, the turmoil, the heartbreaks, the breakdown in families, you look at everything that's happening, the unrest that we have in the country, and even in the whole world, I think you come, you naturally would have this reaction, oh God, we desperately need you. And not only in the country, but the truth is if you look in the church, some of the problems, the issues that we hear about um, in the body of Christ in general, uh, that Pastor Steve will tell you he hears about, that I hear about, it's hard not to just cry out, oh God, how we desperately need you. And also, the truth is, if you look into your own heart, your own heart, you look at What's happening in your own life, the truth is, your natural reaction will be, Oh God, how I desperately need you. And all of us, in one way or another, we are aware that we need something more from God. We need a, a, a revelation of God. We need a visitation from God. You know that you need that in your life. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, in this season in which we're living, you know in your heart, I need something more from God. I need something new. And every generation of Christians want that. Every generation of Christians say they want that. You can call that a visitation from God, call it a revival, call it a fresh encounter with God. Uh, you know, Put whatever term you want on it. We need God. 
We need more of him. I, you know, I'm, there's a lot going on in the country right now. The economy is uncertain. A lot of things are uncertain. But I tell you, the thing that makes me lose, the thing that will make me lose sleep is not whether the economy will do well or not. I'm concerned about, is God going to visit us or not? Because if he doesn't, it is hard to imagine what the country will be like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. We need a visitation from God. The country needs it. Church needs it. We individually need it. And like I said, every uh, generation of Christians want that, pray for that. They say, oh God, come and visit us. But not every Christian, not every church, not every generation of Christians get to experience that. And I want to talk today about the environment where God comes into. The environment that enables God to visit a We need God. There are choices that we have. We can settle for a counterfeit. A counterfeit. We, we, can, uh, uh, we can settle for uh, a fake version of God. We can settle for uh, something that we make up. It mostly just consists of empty words, as Pastor Steve was saying. Or we can get the real thing. We can get a real encounter with God. In one country that I visited, uh, somewhere in Europe, I was there for a conference. At the end of the conference, I asked the people, can you take me to, uh, I'd like to see how the people in this, of this country worship. I want to go to a, 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 a local church. And a gentleman, a good man, he said to me, yeah, actually I'm going to a meeting this evening. Uh, come with me. I went there. And uh, unfortunately, it turned out to be one of those things where I couldn't wait to get out of. There was a guest speaker, a revival meeting, and he did the kind of things that were happening where at one point he asked people who, were, um, uh, who, who wanted money to come forward with their bags, their wallet, their purse, put it in front on the altar, and they're going to sing and praise and pray, and then people will come back and they'll find money in there. So I had a, I don't speak the language that they speak in that country, so I had a translator. The, the, the gentleman who came with me, who's from there, was translating. So at one point, everybody went forward. Everybody, including my translator, is a good man. They went forward. I was left sitting by myself in the middle of the sanctuary. Everybody went up there. And I was the, also the only black person there, by the way. <laughs> and um, and they, they all went forward. When he came back, my translator asked him, so did, did you, did, was there more money in there? People were bringing their winter coat. It was in the winter. So those who didn't have their purse were bringing their winter coats 
putting it forward. At another point, he called those who wanted to lose weight to come forward. And they played an up-tempo uh, song. And he asked the people to draw. Several ladies went up. They looked the same afterward to me. And, I, and he dragged the thing so long. It was three hours. I couldn't wait to get. In the end, at the end of the meeting, honest to a true story. The minister, if you can call him so, um, asked me through the translator, because obviously I was a visitor. He asked me what did he think of the meeting. I told the translator, ask him if he want to know the truth. And he said yes. And I said this respectfully. I said this kindly. Because the Bible said don't rebuke an older person harshly. He was old enough to be my father. I said to him, you need to start giving people Jesus and not this kind of thing. He mumbled something, turned around, walked away. There are a few conversations like that I've had with people when somebody stopped the conversation, turned away, walked away. Uh, that was one of those. And I won't get into some of the other things that happened there. And a lot of that is imported from the United States. Imported from here. And I get what people are trying to, to know. They, they know we need something. They realize we're in need of a visitation from God. They know God is in there. But instead of trying to get him for real, they come up with a counterfeit. They try to make up something. But we don't have time for that, folks. We don't have time for games. There's no time to play that kind of games anymore. And the Bible is not a game. It's not a joke. God is not a game. And if you're here you, or you're watching, you may not be a Christian. Let me tell you this. God is real. He's not a joke. You can find him. You can encounter him. He can, he can move in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood. He can. But there is an environment where God moves. And I might say this, and this is what I, I really want to get across today. There is an environment in which, where not only does God move there, he rushes there. He can't wait to get there. You say, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, there is a, a story that we have in the book of Acts where a preacher was giving a sermon that was the Apostle Peter and God couldn't wait for Peter to finish his sermon. The Holy Spirit came into that place and visited the people. God was in such a hurry, he couldn't wait for Peter to finish and come to his conclusion. He rushed in. It is always, it has always been God's desire to reveal himself to his creation. It has always been God's desire to manifest himself to the people he created. We do not serve a mean God who says, go out there and good luck figuring out if I'm around. That's not God. He's not like that. The Bible says he longs to be gracious to you. 
He longs to be gracious to you. What does longing mean? That's in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus said of Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. That's an intense desire that God has to meet his people, to meet his creation. And God has not changed. He still has that desire today. And if that's not happening, it's not his fault. If people are resorting to tricks and gimmicks and, and all, that, all that kind of uh, sh- show, shows, which is really what it is, in order to substitute for the lack of a genuine manifestation of God, it's not because of a lack of enthusiasm on God's part to reveal himself to his people. So I want to talk about that environment in which God rushes. And that's in, you see that in Acts chapter 10. And let me say something about this particular story of in, uh, Peter in Cornelius' house. There are some, um, oh, oh, I see. Uh, if you, thanks Solomon, if you need a Bible, we have Bible in the back, please. And um, if, you, if you need it, don't, don't, we don't mind, you can get up and go get, grab, grab one. So, one thing about this passage here, this story here, is that in the Bible, there are very few narratives that are repeated. There are few stories such as the birth of Jesus. We have two accounts, two narratives of it, in in, in Luke and in Matthew. And we have the account of Jesus' death and resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's repeated four times. But there are two other stories that are repeated, narrated more than once. In fact, three times. One is the conversion of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, repeated three times in the book of Acts. And the other is this story. What happened at Cornelius' house? The story is retold three times. Now, why is that? It's because God is trying to tell us, this is something you've got to study and pay attention to, because there are some very, very important lessons here. So, um, Acts chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 1, and I won't be able to get through all of the verses here, but I encourage you, when you go home, please take the time to read this, chapter 10 and chapter 11 of the book of Acts. There is a lot there for us to, to, to learn and to understand. So, Here it is, Acts chapter 10 from verse 1. I'm going to give you, again, to find it. At Caesarea, that's a a city in Israel, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout. And God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor 
have come as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the, the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to the poor in need and those in need and prayed to God regularly. What's the environment that God rushes to? It's an environment where people pray. It says here that Cornelius prayed to God continuously. If God is going to do something in my life, in your life, in the church, in our city, there is no shortcut to this. We have to pray. There is no shortcut. There is no way around that. The, when you look around, you see the thing that the devil has meticulously done. He's taken away prayer from the church in general. Often when I meet friends of mine who tell me about the church that they go to, I often ask, when's the prayer meeting? And often people will scratch their head and the reaction will be like, oh, prayer. I hadn't thought about that. No, we don't. So we have youth meetings, women's meetings, brothers' meetings, children's meetings, Sunday school, singles meetings, married people meet, all kinds of meetings. The one that the devil has made sure became extinct, the prayer meeting. And that tells you, that accounts for maybe 80% of the lack of, of genuine manifestation and work of God that you see. If God is going to do something in your family, He needs someone. Listen to this. There was one man who was praying. It was not a lot of people. God needs one person, una persona, one person, who will decide that I'm going to begin to pray. Now, Cornelius, let me say a few things about him. He's not a Jew. He's not even a convert to Judaism. He's not. He's not a pastor. He's a military man. He's a military officer. He has a day job. He's not a deacon in a church. He's not a, 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 a spiritually literate man. He didn't know anything about Jesus. But there was enough of a sense in him that there is a God out there. And if I seek him, I'm going to find him. And he responded to that. I believe everybody gets that call. Everybody at some point in your life, God came to you and began to say to you, you're spending too much time on Facebook. Spending too much time on Twitter. You're spending too much time in front of that television. Please pull away at least a little bit from that, and start to give me time. 
Seek after me. God gave you a sign. Other people may not have heard it, but you did. Maybe it's been this week. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was a year ago. It might have been 10 years ago. At one point in your life, you got this conviction. There is a God out there. He has more for me, for my family. He wants to reveal himself. And God was calling you to begin to pray. Few people respond to that call. Even in the body of Christ. Cornelius did. He didn't have a pastor. He didn't have much going for him in terms of being spiritual, uh, literate in the things of God. But he responded to that. He began to pray. The Bible says he prayed continuously. Now that doesn't mean that every minute of every hour of every day Cornelius was praying. Would that be always there the way I read that? That he was faithful in it. It did not depend on his emotion on that particular day. It means that it was his, he was in a relentless pursuit after God. However, within the limits of what he knew, he gave it his all. You know, people, if I, if I were to say, what are the oases of your life? What would people say? Hey, here is Pablo. He's always, what? Looking for money. Or he's always um, chasing after a girl. Or he's always playing video games. There is an always in everybody's life. For Cornelius, was always praying. It was the dominant thing about his life was that he was seeking after God in prayer. I want to say this to you and to myself. And by the way, today I'm not speaking just to you. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to all of us. Okay? Please don't think that I'm here trying to lecture anybody on this. I'm speaking to all of us. And, and let me also say, you know, if, if I were to have my way, I would come here and share what I think is an encouraging message. This is not what I would be talking about. But there's been a burden on my heart throughout the week, and I can't shake it off. And so this is what uh, I, I, I'm talking about today. I want to tell you this. If you set your heart to begin to pray and seek after God, He will answer you. I don't care who you are. You may not be the person who knows everything about the Bible. You may not be the person who raises your hand at the Bible study and answer every question. But if you, and I don't care how old you are, you may be seven years old, you may be 70 years old. If you set your heart, you're going to seek after God, you're going to begin to pray. At one point, the day will come when God will show you that because you took Him seriously, He will show you that He's begun to take you seriously. He'll answer you. Now, we all know that. that that's not new. Right? That, that's not, no, it's nuevo. It's not new. But, here's the thing. We all know we need to pray. We all know that. That if we would give God time, something would happen. And there have been Christians who have prayed for, um, 
revival. They've prayed for personal awakening. They've, they've, they've prayed. That, that has happened. But here is the thing. Here's the thing about prayer. Please listen carefully here. Prayer can be good and bad. You know when it's bad? It's when it's not sincere. When people pray, when knowing full well that there exist controversies between them and God. And they fall into this belief that if I just keep praying and saying these things, God will overlook how I'm living and he's going to answer me. You see, it says here about Cornelius, before it says that he was a praying man, he says what kind of man he was. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. It's not the prayer of anybody. James says the prayers of a righteous man is effective and powerful. It's not just praying regardless of how I'm living. Cornelius was a God-fearing man. And that's a term that for whatever reason has become unpopular in the church. I know Pastor Steve talks a lot about it. But I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. People say we should not fear God. Perfect love casts out all fear. You've got to read the Bible in context. There are healthy fears and there are bad fears. There are unhealthy fears. The fear of God is healthy. We need it. People say, well, we have to be motivated by the love of God and not by the fear of God. No, I say it's both. Jesus said, and there is this idea that it, the God of the Old Testament is the one we should fear. And then the God of the New Testament, is somehow he changed. Let me tell you, God doesn't suffer from double personality disorder. He's not one, okay, now he's Old Testament, I'm going to change and become different. God is not like that. Jesus said, do not fear the ones who can only kill the body, and after that can do nothing. He said, fear the one who can, after taking the life, drop you into hell. That's Jesus saying that. By the way, Jesus is the only preacher in the whole Bible, in the whole New Testament, who specifically talks about hell. So you can say that's Paul talking, it's Jesus who came from heaven. He said that, fear, the, fear him. And the Bible talks about, the, in, in, I think it's in Acts chapter 9, it says that the church grew in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why there's so much discouragement and not much encouragement of the Holy Spirit? Because there's also not the other part of fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? It's knowing that I'm dealing with a righteous God. Who is so righteous and so committed to doing what is right. I dare not test him and try and see if I can break his rule and I'm still going to be okay. You know how children sometimes test the limits of their parents. See what they can get away with. I have to have the fear of the Lord to know that I should not mess with him. That he has laws and, and principles that he has set that put a boundary on my behavior. And going past that boundary can be disastrous. And in fact will be if I do not repent. That's the fear of the Lord. 
as I understand it. And so, that's a healthy thing to have. And you say, how can I love something and fear it at the same time? Where there's electricity, it's a good thing. Right? There's electricity flowing in these wires here. I have two things going on here. There's electricity there. There's electricity in this phone, in these lights. a good thing. But you know, when I was a kid, my dad had a second house uh, way out in the outskirt of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the city. And in that particular house, there was no electricity. In the other one, the main one, he, he, th- there was. But in this particular one, I was way out there. We, only, we rarely went there. But one time, uh, we were there for spending a week or something like that. Uh, my, my, my dad trying to make sure we had some entertainment that he could uh, run, get a, a, a TV set working. He got this battery. It's like a car battery. And he hooked up the TV to that. And he told me, uh, using my nickname, which I will not tell you, he, he said, don't touch these two terminals. See that? Don't touch that. What was he saying to me? Fear this thing. Okay? And... I was, I don't know, seven years old, something like that. And it's a good thing I listened to him. He wasn't an engineer. But I know today, you know what he was, I know today what he was talking about. On that battery, this is a good thing. You can get the TV working with it. But there are some boundaries to how you have to, how you deal with this thing here. Don't touch these two two things here. There's a voltage across that thing. Touch both things, you form a closed circuit. You become the resistor in that circuit. And Ohm's law will kick in. And a lot of current will pass through you. And it will not be good. Now he didn't explain it like that. But that's the reality of, uh, that's the reality of it. This thing is good. But you have to deal with it in a certain way. And so... Cornelius was a God-fearing man first, and then he was a God, and then his family were also God-fearing. Not just with, not just was he a God-fearing man, but his family was. Let me tell you what, uh, how insincere prayer um, has been in America. For if I ever since I've been to, I, I, I remember ever since I was in high school, people have been praying and asking God for revival, asking God to move. And the more time has passed, the more I've realized a lot of that stuff is insincere. You know why? Let me give you three examples. I would often hear Christian complained on Christian television in the popular Christian platforms. That there's no prayer at the schools. Look how ungodly our schools have become. They don't let, the, our kids don't pray in school. But then I discovered some of the same Christians who complained about there not being prayers in the school. Don't pray at home. They themselves don't pray. Where do you accept, did the Bible ever said the school shall be called a place of prayer? Did the Bible ever say that? It said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's among Christians. Another, uh, uh, another hypocrisy 
has been people complaining about the word of God not being in the schools. Oh, they've gotten read of the Bible in the school. And I'm not saying that it, it's, a bad, it's a good thing to have the Bible in the schools. But the same Christians who would complain about that did not read the Bible at home. It takes 15 minutes a day. Those who have, you know, those, some people have heard me. I've become a broken record on this. It takes 15 minutes a day to read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one year. The New Testament, 15 minutes a day, you'll be through in, in, in four months. So when people have been Christians for 20 years, never read Matthew to Revelation, are asking God for revival and asking that the superintendent of the Boston Public School will get saved and revived so he can put the Bible in the schools, when that same Christian who for 20 years has never read the whole Bible, which he's called to do as a Christian, it's an insincere prayer. Let me ask you this. If our children, the children in our churches don't know the word of God, who will God first call into account for that? Superintendent of the public schools? Who would he ask an account of that from? Some of you think the Sunday school teacher. No, it's the parents. It's the parent. God would ask, why did you not? Because there is a command there to teach these things to the kids. And so, the prayer has to be sincere. Another, uh, another area of, um, of, the, of, of just insincerity is when people have talked about rail against the homosexual community say, look how the gay, the, all this gay marriage is, is, is so bad. And I agree that it's a, the Bible says it's wrong. But when I hear a lot of Christians say, hey, the, look, the sanctity of marriage is being attacked. And let's defend the sanctity of marriage. But let me ask you, but the same people don't have a problem with careless divorces in the house of God. Do you know that Jesus never mentioned homosexuality once, but mentioned divorce several times? Let me ask you something. If, if, a, if, a, if a, a, a young person uh, grows up in the church, and two people, a wedding comes, here's a Christian brother, comes in front of the whole church and says, before God and man, I, I, you know, whatever they, 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 they say, for rich and poor and for better and, and, and worse in health and in poverty, I take you before God. And five years later, he says, my bad, I was kidding. I didn't know she snores. I'm going to go find someone else who doesn't snore. Or the girl says, yeah, I, I, I'll take you to be my, my wedded husband, I'll, I'll, you know, for rich, for poor, and all that. Two years later, she's like, I didn't know he was that lazy. I'm going to find another person. I, I didn't know he doesn't like cats. And sometimes that happens. Non-biblical divorce. And I'm talking now, I'm talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church. And sometimes I know churches where that has things like that have happened. And the people got remarried to someone else in the same church. 
And the three people involved in that are sitting in the same congregation. Let me, tell, let me ask you, what hurts the sanctity of marriage more? That scenario or the gay community out there? Who's supposed to be the guardians of the truth? It's the church. Now I know these are painful topics. And I'm not oversimplifying, trying to oversimplify them. But I'm saying that the culture wars have done a disservice to the church in America. Because they've given us something to be mad about on the outside. And that has distracted us from the problems inside. The outrage with the sins and, and, the, and, and, the, and the vileness without, outside our walls, blinded us and gave us a distraction from the brokenness within our own midst. They've given us a diversion. And so, today, prayer, in order for prayer to be sincere... This is probably what we should be praying. Instead of asking God that there, be, uh, that, that there be Bibles in the public school, the honest prayer will be, Lord, we have lost our hunger for your word. Can you give that back to me? It's been a while since I opened your word and enjoyed it and fed on it. it, it we got to become honest and say, no, it's not. The, the atheist professor at Harvard, those are the, I, 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 there's no other group of people I've heard prayed more for in revival, quote-unquote revival meetings than Harvard faculty. I, don't, I still don't know why. And so it, there has to come a time when we say, no, Lord, it's not the, the Harvard professor out there. I am the one who doesn't have a hunger for God anymore. It's in your house, Lord, that we need you. Will God not answer that kind of prayer? Will he not answer that? If you and I were to go to him and say, Lord, no, it, it, it's not the, 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 the gay community out there that is not part of the church. It's not them that's the problem. It's the immorality within my own heart. It's the pornography that I watch. It is the, 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 the flirting that I do. God, can you help? Will God not answer a prayer like that? Of course he will. And so, an honest praying and, and in his family. You know, one time, because when someone truly seeks after God, this is where God is going to begin to move. He will move first in your life and he'll begin to move in your family. People who live with you will know. So I live with two roommates now. If they don't think, if they think I'm a hypocrite and that I don't really walk what I, what I say I believe, what I teach, there's no use for me coming and trying to tell other people outside my own house. If the people who live with me don't believe in what I'm, in what I'm into, don't think that I'm, I'm, walking the, I'm walking the walk. You know, one time we were out praying and 
um, we were with, uh, and I, I hope Elise doesn't mind me sharing this. We were praying, and we were with Pastor Steve's daughter. We all were, we all were out on a prayer walk uh, several months ago, and we were praying for every leader in the church. Uh, we were, were covering everybody. And, um, and at some point, we started to pray for uh, Pastor Steve, for her dad. And she prayed something interesting that I, I, I remembered for a while. She said, God, I pray that my dad will never stop praying. Because I know when he started praying, we saw the change at home. There was more love at home. He brought so much more love at home. I listened to that and I said, yeah, that sounds like a man who went out to seek after God. The people from his house bought into it, saw a change. And any time that God, uh, a person truly goes out there to seek after God, that's what's going to happen. Okay, I'm running out of time, uh, as I often do, fortunately. So let me go to the next thing here. An angel came to Cornelius and he told him, listen, send someone to go to Joppa and bring back uh, Peter. He, uh, he sent, the, the angel told, told him which town to go to, uh, who to find in that town. He said, you want a man, a man called Simon. And he told him, but there's actually two Simons in that house, the tanner and Peter. You want the other Simon, the Peter one. It was clear direction. That's always what happens. If you're in confusion, you don't know what to do, you begin to pray, clarity will come. And so, he sends people to go to Peter. And Peter, the Bible says, he's also there praying. At about noon, the following day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw a heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by the four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice uh, told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, the third, and this happened three times. And then, while Peter was wondering about uh, the, meaning of, of the, the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon was known, at, if, if who was Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told me, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Fast forwarding, um, the, uh, the next day Peter started um, out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with them. And the following day they arrived at Caesarea, and Peter met with Cornelius, and, um, they, and, and here is what Peter said to, um, to Cornelius and, and his people. He said, now I realize 
Um, he lies um, that God shows no favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And, and earlier he said to, he said, he said to them, um, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Gentile is another word for a non-Jew in the Bible. Or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Here is just two things that I'm going to say real quick about that environment that is conducive to God moving to. Not only there has, must there be sincere praying, but it's an environment where people realize that they need to deal with their prejudices. Peter, as a Jewish man, even as a low class, he was a fisherman, he was not an, an, an educated man, he would be considered in the lower class, even in Israel. But Peter grew up with the notion that there is clean and unclean food. Pork is unclean, beef is clean. And, he was, and that extended to the idea, to the idea that uh, those who eat the unclean stuff are unclean people. And like he says to them, he was not allowed to associate with someone who was non-Jew or even to visit him. Do you get that? Peter was not even, he, if you had invited him to your house and you were not a Jew, he would not even come to your house. And if by mistake he found himself in your house, he'd feel dirty and will rush out, need to go take a shower. And that's how he grew up. You think we have racial division and tensions today? This was at another level. He wouldn't even associate, not even set his foot in your house. Now, Peter wasn't a bad man. He wasn't a bad person. But in this area here, he was simply ignorant. And it was hard for him to get over that. He took three visions from heaven. So Peter, after having been with Jesus for three years, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after having seen miracles, still believe it was wrong for him to go to the house of a non-Jew. You get that? Even after all that marvelous stuff, the prejudice hasn't, hadn't been purged out of him. But thankfully, Peter was a man who had a teachable heart. The day God came and spoke to him, he understood. He changed. Some people are cabeza dura. They're hard-headed. And eventually they become corazón dura también. They become hard-hearted. Meaning it doesn't matter what God says, what God convicts them of, they're not changing. They believe there are people who are common and unclean. There are people they want to associate with. 
They have prejudice, deep prejudice against black people or white people or Hispanic people, against Asians. And some of the same people are praying, saying, God, bring revival. Do you want him to only send white people into the church? Or only send black people into the church? Martin Luther King said that Sunday is the most segregated time in America. It still is. It's sometimes amazing how anybody gets converted in this kind of environment. And folks, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm closing. I'm, I'm, out, I'm out of my time here. But please let me just say this. This is real stuff. This is where you and I, especially today with everything, all the tension going on in the country. Is it Black Lives Matter? Is it All Lives Matter? Is it all these, and, and, all, and all these things? And people are up in arm about all, about all this stuff. You know what I believe? We should be able to tell people, come to our church. You'll see how Jesus Christ brings people together. Of all kinds, of all races. For a long time in our church, when our, our group began, back at my dorm, I was still a student. For a while, I was the only black person in there. And I was leading this thing. Sam, who's sitting over there, was a non-Christian, came to the Bible study and got saved there. He's one of my roommates now. I don't look at him and I see her, there comes a white man. I don't look at Pastor Steve or Eldon and say, yeah, there, there goes white people. I don't look at Mary or Gabriella and say, okay, here, 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 uh, here are an Hispanic person. These are children of God. These are my brothers and my sisters. I don't look at Stephen and say, hey, here's my, my, my African brother. Don't think like that. How do you minister to people if you don't love them? If you don't consider them your children? These are things that God has to change in our hearts. How about we pray, God, take away the prejudice that's within me. Take away the prejudice that's inside of me. There's a couple right now. They're probably watching us online. They pray for me every day. Every day. It's, uh, their youngest son is my age. It's an Indian couple. They've known me since I was in high school. God could have raised an African couple to do that. Why didn't he? My friend Sony, we prayed once a week. We've been doing that for almost 10 years. At one point, I was told that in his house, his children, the older two, they, they had teddy bears named Freddy Bafuka in their house. When an Asian family has kids naming their teddy bears after a black man and the parents are now worried, you know God's at work. Make you believe in God. 
generalization, but it's true. God has to change these things in our hearts. And um, as I conclude, I'm just going to say this. I'll let you read the rest because I'm out of time. When Peter went there, you read the sermon that he gave there. It was all about Jesus Christ. Count the number of times he refers to Jesus in there. You know about Jesus Christ who came around doing good. God made him Lord. God raised him from the dead. There was no, he did not preach Judaism. He did not preach the church in Jerusalem. It was all about Christ. It was all about Jesus Christ. There was a, there, there was a centrality to Jesus Christ in that. If we are going to see God move in our midst, it's going to have to be God. It's going to have to be that we put Jesus Christ first. That it is about him. It's not about promoting our church, promoting our doctrine, promoting one, one thing or another. The Lord's been drilling this into me the last few years. Don't try to glorify anything other than Jesus Christ. The moment you start trying to promote anything other than Jesus, you are on your own. The Holy Spirit says, hasta luego, see you later. Because he was sent to glorify Jesus Christ and him alone. So that is it, the environment in which God rushes. Where people are praying sincere prayer. Where there is love and humility. Where no one is trying to be a big man. Peter tells Cornelius, I'm only a man. And Cornelius, a, 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 a military officer in the Roman military, which is occupying Israel, bows at Peter's feet. In that kind of environment, you will have to find a reason why God would not rush there. The Lord met them. And the Bible says it ended up with a lot of people praising God. A demonstration of God at work. Even Peter and the other believers were shocked at what happened there. Are we willing to let the Lord come and rush into our midst like that? Are we willing to humble ourselves and say, Lord, it's not the people out there, it's us. Begin with me. Begin with me. Begin with me. Would you be willing to take, make a decision to begin to seek God in prayer for yourself, for your family, for your neighborhood? God will honor it. Amen.